Would you pray with me? Lord, it is true as we've just sung and we certainly believe that there is great power in your blood. And we believe too that there is great power in your word. And so we pray that as we hear your word, that it would be powerfully applied to us by your Holy Spirit to the ends that you have sent it for. You said it would not return void. It would accomplish all your purposes. And we believe that. And so give us ears to hear. For Jesus' sake, amen. Good morning. I'll have the ushers come forward with the Bibles now. We're doing something a little bit different today as we've been doing something a little bit different over the past several weeks. We've been in the midst of this series, What We Believe, and the series doesn't go over everything that we believe. We're not teaching through our doctrinal statement per se, but we're looking at things that we believe that are a bit more controversial, things that are not popular in the culture that we live in. And so we've addressed things like the Trinity and things like the authority of the Bible and what happens when we die and what does it mean to be human. Today is the the last sermon in this series, and uh, we're going to start uh, a new series on the book of Amos next week. And today, we're, we're ending not with a whimper, but with a bang, because today we have to answer the question of, is Jesus the only way to God? In a 2006 interview with Time Magazine, the then presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, a woman named Catherine Jefferts Shiori, was asked this question, as Christian leaders are often asked in, in popular media. i got to turn this on first. Is belief in Jesus the only way to get to heaven? And this leader of the Episcopal Church responded this way, quote, We who practice the Christian tradition understand Him, Jesus, as our vehicle to the divine, but for us to assume that God could not act in other ways is, I think, to put God in an awfully small box, close quote. In an interview the, the year before, Larry King asked Joel Osteen basically the same question. This is how Osteen responded, and this is very important for you to hear because some of you are still listening to him, and it's poison for your souls. This is how Osteen responded. You know, I'm very careful about saying who would and who wouldn't go to heaven. I don't, I don't know. I believe, here's what the Bible teaches and from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. But I just think that only God will judge a person's heart. I've spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know all about their religion, but I know they love God. I've seen their sincerity. 
so I just don't know. So what do you think? How we respond to this question is at the very core of our identity as Christians. And we need to be prepared to give an answer to those who would question this. This is one of, if not the most unpopular thing that Christians believe in our culture that champions things like tolerance and open-mindedness. For a Christian to claim that Jesus is the only way to heaven is to be branded narrow-minded and a bigot. So we must be ready to answer. We have to be clear in our own minds. Is Jesus the only way? I believe, and our church believes, that the answer to this question is yes. Trusting in Jesus is the only way to a relationship with God and eternal life. And we don't believe it because it's agreeable to our culture or to our reason, but because it's in the book. We don't get to make stuff up. Believe what the Bible teaches. And so this morning, I want to, in the, the brief time we have together, to look at three different things. First, I want to give you an overview of the different positions that people take in answer to this question. If I were to say, is belief in Jesus the only way to get to heaven? There are four basic positions that people will take. So we're going to give you the lay of the land for that. Look at those schools of thought. And then look at how Scripture responds to that. What does the Bible say? That's, that's what we're always asking on any question of life or faith. We're asking, where is it written? What does the Scripture say? And then we'll look briefly at some the standard objections that we receive when we talk about something as controversial as this. And, and if you are here and you're taking notes, I mean, be ready to go. I, I don't expect you to be able to follow me along in the Bible today, so because we're going to be all over the New Testament. So get your pencil ready and, uh, and write down some of these verses. We want to equip you to be able to respond to people who ask you these questions because they're coming. If you've not received them or if you've not asked them yourself, it won't be long. So first, we want to look at the different schools of thought that, that come up in response to this question. The first one, many of you will be familiar with already, is called universalism. Universalism teaches that all people go to heaven no matter what. Or, slight variation, all people go to heaven except really, really bad ones like Hitler. But everybody else goes. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about this today for two reasons. One reason is Tom just preached on it not long ago. It was part of a sermon on what happens when you die. He dealt with it a little bit there, so you can go back, listen to the sermon from June 19th, and that'll give you some of what we believe about universalism. The other reason is we believe that even a cursory reading of the Bible that takes seriously what it says illustrates that 
this is not a, a biblical option. But the next two are ones that we do need to deal with a little bit more. First is something called pluralism. You might think of your grammar. Plural means more than one. Pluralism teaches that all, or at least many, different paths are valid and will lead to God. This is probably the most popular position in our culture among people who believe that God exists and believe there's an afterlife. You will probably most often encounter somebody who says, well, I think everybody's path is valid and all paths lead to God. And they, they use illustrations like, it's like God's at the top of a mountain and everybody's going up in their different way, but they all get there in the end. They're just going up on different sides and so their paths are, are a little bit different. Of course, the question we have to ask is, was that what the Bible teaches? And then a step in the right direction, but not that much of a step, is inclusivism. This might be a new one for, for some of you. Inclusivism says, well, Jesus, yes, Jesus is the only Savior of the world. We believe that. But one does not necessarily need to hear or believe the gospel in order to be saved. So somebody can be saved by Jesus without hearing about Him or believing in Him. This is a, an increasingly popular position among some Christians, I think, because it makes them feel like they can continue to hold on to Jesus as the Savior but they can bow to the pressures of our society to tolerate everybody. And lastly is exclusivism. Exclusivism teaches that Jesus is the only Savior of the world and that one must believe God's special revelation culminating in the gospel of Christ to be saved. Shorter version of that, trusting in Jesus is the only way of salvation. That's what I believe. That's what we believe as a church. And I want to show you that I think that's what the Bible teaches. So we're going to look at, the, at these things in, in two categories. First, I want, to, I want to respond to pluralism, and we're going to be asking the question, does the Bible teach that many or all paths are valid and lead to God? And then we're going to look at a biblical response to inclusivism. Does the Bible teach that people can be saved by Jesus without actually believing in Him? Well, first, buckle your seatbelts, here we go. Does the Bible teach that many or all paths lead to God? Well... First, we could say, well, Jesus taught that the way to eternal life was narrow. And this is very important. Men, much of what we're going to be doing is going to be looking at what Jesus himself said. And so you will encounter people who will say, well, I don't think, that, that's not very Christ-like. I don't think Jesus would say something like that. That doesn't fit with what, with what the Jesus that I think of, that doesn't fit with what, what he would do. He was all about, he was all about love and Say that 
read the Bible. This is what He said. So you don't get to pick and choose the things that you liked that Jesus said and get to say, oh, the other ones don't count because I don't like them. Jesus taught the way to eternal life was narrow. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said the way to life is narrow. Jesus and the apostles also taught that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. Now, this matters because if you believe that there's a God and you believe that there's an an afterlife, there's probably a general feeling that when you die, you're going to stand before God and be judged by Him. And it's really important for you to understand that the Bible teaches that the God that you will stand before is not some nondescript generic deity of your own making. It is the Lord Jesus. So Jesus said, not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. The apostles agreed. Peter, when he was preaching to Cornelius, Acts 10, said that Jesus ordered us, ordered the apostles to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that this is the one, Jesus, who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. Paul also agrees when he's preaching in Athens. He said that God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The proof that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead is his resurrection. Jesus and the apostles also taught that one's relationship to Jesus determines one's relationship to God. So what you do with Jesus has everything to do with your relationship with God. Luke 10, 16, Jesus was speaking to His apostles and He was sending them out to do ministry and He said, the one who listens to you listens to Me. The one who rejects you rejects Me. And he who rejects Me, Jesus, rejects the one who sent Me. To reject Jesus is to reject God. John 5.23, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Failure to honor Jesus is failure to honor God, but to honor Jesus is to honor God. 1 John 2, 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. To deny Jesus 
is to deny God. And all of those verses and ideas are all preamble to these next several verses. And these are the ones, if you have not written anything down yet, this is where you write it down. These are the clearest statements in the Bible that Jesus is the only way. Because Jesus and the apostles explicitly taught that Jesus was the only way. John 14, 5 and 6, the night before the crucifixion, Jesus speaking to his apostles and one of them, Thomas, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father but through me. And if you're interested, the Greek word behind our translation there is no one. <laughs> There's no wiggle room. It really means no one comes to the Father but through me. The apostles, again, agree. In Acts 4, the apostles have healed a uh, a crippled man, and are brought before the Jewish council to answer for why they did it and how they did it. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up and says, by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, which I'm sure went really well, whom God raised from the dead, by this name a man stands before you in good health. And then as if he was trying to win a popularity contest with the Jewish council, he said, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. There's no other Savior. Paul says the same thing in 1 Timothy 2.5. There's one God. There's not many gods. There's one God, and there is one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Mediator is someone who stands between two parties, oftentimes who are in opposition to one another. And so, sinful man who has rebelled against God and, and holy God who is perfect in His holiness and glory and justice and truth. And there must be a mediator between them to bring them back into relationship. And Paul says, the one mediator between God and man, the one way that God and man can be in relationship is the man Christ Jesus. And then I think a very powerful argument, Galatians 2.21, Paul has spent a good part of the book of Galatians up to this point arguing that salvation does not come by obeying the law, it doesn't come by, by trying to be good, it doesn't come by trying to be religious, it doesn't come by being sincere about your religion. It comes by faith in what Jesus has done. And then he gets to the end of that argument and he says, now I do not nullify the grace of God. I don't set it aside. Because if righteousness, if a right relationship with God could come through the law, could come by any other means, then Christ died needlessly. Think about it. If there were many other ways to get to God, why did Jesus die? 
So Gandhi is famous for saying that he viewed the death of Christ as this supreme example of sacrifice for one's friends. And I, and I think to myself, how in the world is that an example of sacrifice for one's friends? It would be like me walking down the street with my wife and saying, I love you, I want to sacrifice for you, and I jump in front of a bus. How does that demonstrate sacrificial love? What does demonstrate sacrificial love is if we're walking down the street and my wife and my boys are going to be hit by a bus and I shove them out of the way and I'm hit instead. That is what Jesus has done. Jesus didn't just die to give us a good example of how to die well. He died in our place. If there is any other way, then Christ died for nothing. So does the Bible teach that all paths are valid and lead to God? The answer is unequivocally no. That is not what the Bible teaches. What about inclusivism? What, what about, does, does the Bible teach that people can be saved by Jesus without having to hear or believe the gospel? Well, first we need to look at the fact that Jesus and the apostles taught that to reject Jesus was to reject God and to face condemnation. John 3.18, this is Jesus speaking in John 3, you know the passage very well, I think. He who believes in him, that is Jesus, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Those who do not believe are condemned because they don't believe. The Apostle John in his commentary on this section uh, of, uh, of dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus says this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So that's, that's really intolerant. This is what the Bible says. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just reading to you from the Bible. John 8, 24. Jesus talking to the Pharisees and he says, Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Once had a conversation with a young man who wanted to argue with me about uh, the idea that Jesus was a universalist and he was going to let everybody into heaven. I said, well, Have you read what he said? He's like, Oh, yeah, he's, he's totally you know, universalist. I said, What about in. John 8, where he says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's like, Jesus didn't say that. I'm like, yeah, 
pretty sure he did. And then he asked me, is it in red letters? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's really there. Jesus and the apostles also taught that it was by trusting in Jesus that you could gain eternal life, the only way to eternal life. John 3.16, you know it well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Again, the apostles confirm what Jesus said. Paul and Silas were in prison in Acts 16, and the the jailer was ready to commit suicide, and they stopped him from doing that, and the jailer brought them out of the jail and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They did not reply. Continue to uh, sincerely practice your religious beliefs, whatever they are, and uh, I'm sure God will work it out for you. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then very clearly, I think, in the book of Romans, Paul addresses this. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, or right standing with God, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And then as if to to make this statement even bolder, he goes on to say, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. A wonderful promise. And then he says, but how will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Paul seems to be very concerned about evangelism and missionary activity and And I don't think that would be the case if he thought that there were many other ways to get to God. It wouldn't have been so urgent. And the fact that he he says, anybody who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they be saved if they don't hear? So does the Bible teach inclusivism that one can come to God by a different means, even though maybe underneath it's because of Jesus, but has nothing to do explicitly with Jesus, what one theologian called an anonymous Christian. They're saved, they just don't know it. The answer is no. That's that's not what the Scripture says. And so what we are left with is what we call exclusivism. Jesus and trusting in Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Now, you may be sitting there 
and thinking, well, I agree with that. Or you may be sitting there and thinking, I don't agree with that. But either way, there are probably in your mind some objections, either things that you currently feel or things that you have been asked by others or things that you will be asked by others. And so in our last few minutes, I want to help you understand some of those and give you some some tools to be able to use so that you can respond well. The first objection that is often the case is you tell somebody, Jesus is the only way, and they say, well, that's, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. So I, I read a story about this in the past week as I was preparing for this. Um, back in the 20th century, uh, Jane Fonda met the Archbishop of Canterbury, the leader of the Church of England, and in the midst of their conversation, the Archbishop said to Jane Fonda, Jesus is the Son of God, you know. To which Jane Fonda replied, well, He is for you, but He's not for me. To which the Archbishop replied, well, either He is or He isn't. That's true for you, but it's not true for me. That's not the way that truth works, right? It's like, it's like saying um, water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. What's well, true for you, but it's, it's not true for me? Well, no, it's true whether you believe it or not. So, we have to get out of this this mindset and help people to get out of the mindset that what, what we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus being the only way is like talking about the temperature at which water freezes, not our preference of temperature for the air conditioning. Right? So it's not like we're sitting in a room and saying, I like it cold, I like it warm. And that's so you like it cold, that's true for you. I like it warm, that's, that's true for me. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something objective outside of us that's true whether we like it or not. So if you were to come and, and say to me, John, I believe in the law of gravity, and I would say, that's true for you, but it's not true for me, and then I went and jumped off the Ben Franklin Bridge, it would not take long for me to understand that though I did not believe in the law of gravity, it was still true for me. That's what we're talking about. That's not true for you, it's true for me doesn't take seriously what truth is and how it works. Next is a very common objection that we will receive from from people, particularly in our culture. That's that's narrow-minded, intolerant, and disrespectful. And beyond the fact that using those kind of words uh, gives the the person a feeling of superiority Say like, well, if I can call you narrow-minded, intolerant, disrespectful, bigoted, that means I don't have to take your opinion seriously. So beyond that, there's a couple things I would say about this. One, its application is inconsistent. What I mean is this. If I say Jesus is the only way to heaven, they say that's, that's narrow-minded. You should, you know, everybody should be able to believe what, what they want to believe. I'm like, oh, I believe people can believe what they want to believe. I just believe they're wrong. I say, well, you can't, you can't believe that. That's intolerant. I'm like, so you're telling me 
I can't believe what I believe and I should believe what you believe. Do you see the problem? They're saying you can't believe what you believe because, because that's intolerant. So the, the, only, the only belief that is valid is the one that agrees with my belief. It's inconsistent in the way people apply it. And they want us to, to think differently. They're violating their own argument. But second, and probably more importantly, is to call, to call the belief intolerant to say, well, it's, it's only intolerant if it's not true. What if it's true? It's like if there was a, a building that was on fire, and I went to, to rescue you from it, and I said, listen, there's one way out. Here's the way it is. So that's intolerant. I'm going to find my own way out. Intolerant. I'm trying to save you. Again, we're not in the realm of preference. It's even as funny that when we talk about religion in our country, we talk about relig- religious preference. We're not that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about truth. A number of years ago, I was in Colorado, and a friend of mine, a couple friends of mine, went up hiking in the mountains, and one of them was bit by a rattlesnake. And they were high up in the mountains and, and through a series of fairly miraculous events, they were able to, to get down and get to the hospital. And at the hospital, my friend had to take 26 vials of antivenom to save her life. Now, and she's fine, by the way, now. But suppose she got to the hospital, the doctor said, listen, you've been bit by a rattlesnake. This is... This is what we have to do. This is the one thing that we have to do to treat you. And she were to say, that's really narrow-minded, Doc. I think I'd like to take my chances with something else. The doctor's going to be saying, I, I, this is not about preference. I'm trying to save your life. I'm telling you, this is the way that will lead to life. That's what we're talking about. And lastly the objection that we heard at the very beginning, well, that's putting God in a box. How do you know that God couldn't save people other ways? And this is where what we believe has everything to do with what the Scripture teaches. How do we know that God doesn't save people other ways? Because that's what He said. If we believe that the Bible is our authority, then we don't get to pick and choose what we want to believe. And so it's really amazing to me when I hear supposedly Christian leaders saying, well, I don't, God could save people other ways. I'm like, where do you have a verse for that? Show me. And, and if you don't want to believe it, that's, that's okay. We can discuss that. But don't pretend like the Bible's on your side. Don't pretend that you like Jesus. You like your version of Jesus. But he doesn't exist. The claim that we make when we look at the Scriptures is this is the authority given to us from God, and we believe what it says. We don't get to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like based on our cultural preferences. So what? Why does any of this matter? 
What should we do about it? Well, because I'm a pastor, I have an alliteration of six R's. First, we do need to respect those who disagree with us. So there will be many people, perhaps most people that you run into who will disagree and maybe disagree passionately with this. And that's okay. You can still think they're wrong, but you can respect them and you can respect their beliefs. This is what Paul said in 2 Timothy where he said, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but gentle in, in correcting his opponents. And in 1 Peter 3, we must always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have, but to do so with gentleness and respect. This doctrine, the exclusivity of Christ, is not a club with which we can beat people into the kingdom of heaven. It's not a tool to use to win arguments. We need to be respectful of people that we talk to about this. We need to recognize that there will be many people, perhaps many people who are Christians, who really struggle with this. And if that's you, I, I want to say, I feel you. I, this is tough. This is a tough doctrine. It goes against everything that we think we know. It goes against everything that we think we know about what is just and what is fair and, and all of those things. So we need to recognize that there are going to be a lot of people that struggle with it, and that's okay. We need to disciple them and, and help them to see that this is indeed what the what the Scripture teaches, and again, to do so with gentleness and respect. But though we are to respect those who disagree or struggle with this, we have to reject any notion that there is another way of salvation outside of faith in Christ because it's what the Bible says. But that also calls us to action. We're to reach out to those who don't know Jesus. We're to, to share the gospel with people. Not because we're trying to convert them to be Christians and we want them to live just like us, because we believe they will be eternally lost without Jesus. You, you want to hear an encouragement to evangelism, listen to this. Penn Gillette, many of you will know Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller, the illusionist. Penn Gillette, the one who talks, is, uh, is an atheist, a rather outspoken atheist. And somebody came and shared the gospel with him sometime and did it in a very gentle and respectful way. Penn was not interested. And yet, he said this. He said, for, for someone to, to believe what they believe and to not do evangelism, proselytization as he calls it, I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward and atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize saying, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself? How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? 
Share the gospel. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. It's an atheist. I have to reach out to those who don't know Jesus because without him they'll be eternally lost. Two more. We have to remember that though we believe in the exclusivity of Christ, there's one way. The gate is narrow. It is Jesus alone. Remember that Jesus will never reject anyone who comes to him in faith. And so we believe that Christ is is exclusive, but we also believe he's radically inclusive. Whosoever will may come. Anyone who comes to him, he will not cast out. That means for all of us that we need to to be clear. There's no other way to salvation, and so we must all repent, turn to God, receive and rest upon Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel for our eternal life because there is no other way. Have you done that? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus for your salvation? Have you given up trying to find your way to God by your religious sincerity and your good works and your morality and put all of those things at the foot of the cross and said, I rest in Jesus alone. When you stand before God in heaven, It will not work to say, I was sincere. It will only work to say, it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, this is hard. It's our hard truths. They war against our natural instincts and everything that we are bombarded with by our culture and our society tells us we're wrong on this. Your word is truth. And so we pray that you would give us deep conviction about its truth and confidence in it, that it is indeed powerful and is enough to do your work. Give us love and compassion for those who disagree with us and a deep desire to share with them the way of life as it is found in Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.